Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. I'm your co-host. My name is Nick Hill. I'm joined today and every Tuesday and Friday by my good friend, Daniel Foch. Dan, how you doing, man? Yeah, I'm great. I'm sitting up here in the mountains in Banff now, or as the locals call it, Banff, which is, <laughs> I'm quite charmed actually by the Alberta accent that, that we discovered on our trip. And the people here and the events that we just had, totally exceptional and just changed my perspective on the whole thing. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, man. Really, really amazing time. I mean, I was in and out quickly because I had to come back and look at a bunch of properties that we have under contract. But, you know, I was there for a few days and, and a sincere thank you to anyone that came out to the events and everyone that helped them set up. For those of you who don't know, we did a host our first two events with, with some of our partners in both Calgary and Edmonton had amazing turnouts with amazing people. People are already getting deals done. We've we made some great connections. Just super impressed by both cities, the people in both cities, the architecture, just the overall vibe. Had a had a had a really great time and and jealous that you're still out there experiencing some of the natural wonders that they're so lucky to have in their backyard. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the place has so much to offer. It's a diversified and growing population, strong GDP, affordable housing, almost 40 provincial parks, world-class skiing and snowboarding. Actually, the World Cup of skiing was literally on a couple of days ago in Lake Louise when we were there. I literally went snowboarding yesterday. So the day before we recorded this, I'm probably going to be in bed for, for a couple of days now because uh, I forgot <laughs> how sore that makes me. Yeah. So... I mean, Alberta, when people think of it, you know, you hear that name across the country, you might think of cows grazing in a field that will one day turn into delicious AAA beef or, or steak. You might think of oil, gas and energy because there's a ton of that there. But you also might be thinking of the gorgeous scenery at Lake Louise or the last Rodeo show at the Calgary Stampede. That's how you say it. Right? Something like that. But, it's uh, a Latin way. But Alberta was actually named after... Prince Louise Caroline Alberta, who lived from 1848 to 1939, who was the fourth daughter of Queen Victoria. Prince Louise was the wife of John Campbell, the Marquis of Lorne, Governor General of Canada from 1878 to 1883. Lake Louise and Mount Alberta were also named in her honor. Now, Dan, I gave you the next point here because as our resident Latin expert. Why don't big, you tell us the history of these words? Yeah, big big Latin guy here. The name Alberta itself is a feminine Latinized form of Albert, the name of Princess Louise's father, the prince consort, uh, the medieval Latin or Albertus is the masculine. <laughs> I love that. My grandfather's name is Albert as well. Alberta no, or, just Albert. or Albert? Albert for short. Yeah. <laughs> So Alberta is one of the 13 provinces and territories of Canada. It's part of the western part of Canada and is one of the three prairie provinces. Now, Alberta is bordered by British Columbia to the west, Saskatchewan to the east, the northwest territories to the north, and the U.S. state of Montana to the south. So the eastern part of the province is occupied by the Great Plains Reference in some of the best tragically hip songs, while the western part of the province borders the Rocky Mountains. Now, Alberta is one of the two landlocked provinces along with Saskatchewan, but there are a ton of lakes and rivers 
flowing through this stunning province. It's the fourth largest province by landmass at 661,848 square kilometers and is the fourth most populous, being home to over 4.26 million people. Alberta's capital is Edmonton, and Calgary is its largest city. It's funny, actually, in the most recent episode of Yellowknife, they chase some like bandits to the Canadian border in Montana. So they must be interacting. There's like RCMP <laughs> officers that are, they're getting a fight with on this river. Love it. So it must be Alberta that they're uh, having That's beef great. with, pun intended there. Ooh. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the Athabasca oil sands here. This third largest reserve of oil in the world after Saudi Arabia and Venezuela. Crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. From my understanding, it is pretty heavy oil. So it's not, not exceptionally crude. very crude. The Athabasca oil sands have an estimated bitumen deposit about 138 billion tons with about 80% being too deep for surface mining and must be extracted by more expensive in situ methods. As of 2012, it is estimated that 170 square kilometers worth of bitumen deposits are mined annually containing approximately, is that 4 billion tons? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we see the oil makes up a very large part of the economy. And Dan, we saw this and we commented on it, you know, when we were boots on the ground walking around the downtowns with the building top signage on, on the, the towers in both Edmonton and Calgary, seeing the likes of Suncor, Chevron, Shell, and other major names in the oil and gas sector. And that makes no surprise when you start to look at some of the largest employers in Alberta. Two out of the five largest here listed are oil and gas. We've got Alberta Health Services, which is a tricky one because you know a lot of that's government as well. So there are 109,000 employees there. Shaw Communications and Telus also find themselves in the top five, but you know the other two, Suncor and Precision's Drilling, are, are oil and gas services. And I think if we looked at the top ten, we'd see a lot more oil and gas related businesses up in that top 10 of, of largest employers. Yeah, for sure. They do kind of have that eggs in one basket phenomena happening economically here. But it's, you know, I mean, it's not all the eggs. I would say, you know, it's clear that most are part of that oil and gas sector, if the basket obviously being the economy, the eggs being the oil and the gas, perhaps. I think if you look at Canada, Canada isn't an, an economy that can afford to have all of its eggs in one basket any longer. And so you start seeing economic diversification. And that's where you start to see a lot of cross-pollination of capital, cross-pollination of people, jobs moving around the country. And, and this is a big phenomenon that we're going to be talking about happening in Alberta right now. This presents a bit of a risk, obviously. That's why we hear a lot about the boom-bust cycles of the economy when we hear about Alberta. Yeah, so quick refresher, boom-bust cycles, a process of the economic expansion and contraction that, that occurs repeatedly. So a boom-bust cycle is, is a key characteristic of any capitalist economy and sometimes synonymous with average and normal business cycles, but usually boom-bust can happen quicker and, and possibly more severe. So during the boom, the economy grows, jobs are plentiful, markets bring high returns to investors. But in the subsequent bust, the economy shrinks, people lose their jobs, investors lose their money. And boom bust cycles can last for varying lengths of time and also vary in severity. So apply this to oil and gas. It accounts for about 21% of the province's GDP. And oil production in Alberta makes up 80% of Canada's total oil production. So 
This leaves Alberta pretty exposed if there is anything like an oil crisis. So Western Canada Select, WCS, has the price of oil obtained from many Alberta producers of oil averaged U.S. $66.38 a barrel in October of 2022, and that's already 4.2% lower than it was a year earlier. And we know that, especially in today's day and age, prices of oil have really been fluctuating, right? And there's a whole bunch of factors that can impact that oil market, such as simply extraction costs and labor, you know, a push away from oil into more green energy. Obviously, without making this political, let's just say government red tape and legislation, and then even pipeline construction and controversy, and you know, the list goes on. So long story short, boom and bust, when it's good, it's really good. And when it's bad, it sucks. Yeah. And I think that one of the challenges is, you know, that oil prices obviously can fluctuate quickly and the economy can't fluctuate as quickly. It's not as agile. And this is where you start to see some of these longer term trends that have really plagued the Calgary market, especially, um, which we'll talk about, but office vacancy being crazy since basically the most recent economic downturn in the global financial crisis. We'll talk about that toward the end of the episode as well. And I quickly talk about this article that you sent me, people flocking to Alberta. Alberta sees its biggest population boom in years, mostly from Ontario. And I actually think it's really funny here. Steph and I are up in, in Banff and Lake Louise, or, or Banff, sorry, which is the, what the locals are calling it. And oh. I love it. I love it. Yeah, we were trying to figure out actually what the, the difference in um, diction was between Ontarians and, and Albertans. And that was, that was it. It was that single A. But anyway, yeah, everybody who is working at the resorts here, I find, that isn't from somewhere else. Uh, you know, there's people from all over the world working in these resorts. But anyone who's from Canada, not a lot of them are local, actually. A lot of them working on the resorts here are from Ontario, which I found really interesting. Alberta is experiencing the kind of population gains not seen in years, according to new figures from Statistics Canada. It also shows that Alberta was leading destination among Canadians moving from Ontario, BC, Saskatchewan, Yukon, and just by a little margin, Manitoba. Statistics Canada's numbers show that 37,000 interprovincial migrants came to Alberta while 27,000 left the province. So the net game was primarily composed of Ontarians. No surprise there. I mean, I think you and I both know several people that have moved that way in the last couple of years. So as we get more and more into the nitty gritty of Alberta here, we thought we'd just go over the kind of main geographical locations. The Alberta Real Estate Association, which has a funny acronym, AREA. Clever. Kind of ironic. <laughs> divides Alberta up into these geographical categories. Calgary, Central Alberta, Edmonton, Fort McMurray, Grand Prairie, Lethbridge, Medicine Hat, and South Central Alberta. So knowing that, let's go back and visit revisit, sorry, the U-Haul Index. Now, the U-Haul's growth index is a list compiled according to the net gain of one-way U-Haul trucks arriving in a city or province versus departing from that city or province in a calendar year. So it's essentially how many people are moving there versus how many people are moving out. Yeah, migration from densely populated urban areas to less crowded, more affordable outlying markets was a recurring theme during Canada last year, according to transactional data compiled for the annual U-Haul Growth Index. Alberta benefited the most from this pandemic-era trend in 2021, netting more one-way U-Haul truck customers than any other province. 
BC ranked second for growth, followed by Ontario. In 2021, Alberta saw a 33% increase in the arrival of one-way U-Haul trucks year-over-year, while departures rose to just 29%, so more than 50.8% of all all U-Haul traffic in Alberta was inflow. So there are incentives, or sorry, there are initiatives in Alberta that are creating more job opportunities and attracting residents. This is from the U-Haul Area District Manager, the Vice President of Western Canada. Later that year, we have seen a lot of movement into Alberta. More and more communities are developing around these major cities. And not only that, but we, the Canadian Rockies are also accessible to residents here and offer a variety of recreational activities. Alberta is one of the best places to call home. Calgary is the top landing spot for do-it-yourself movers coming to Alberta, but smaller markets like Red Deer, Lacombe, Medicine Hat, Red Cliff, and Airdrie are also attracting more residents. So we're going to go back here and revisit another index that we've covered on the show before. And this one is a great growth indicator. This is the RLB crane index that tracks the number of operating tower cranes in 14 major cities across the U.S. and Canada. So since the last count, Calgary holds steady, losing only one single crane on its skyline. Well, the $634 million Calgary Event Center has been put on hold because of concerns about cost escalation. The number of building permits is up 29% year over year. That's just great to see. With residential projects driving the construction industry, construction is underway for major projects exceeding $3.2 billion in value, including the new BMO Center expansion, 12 inner city multifamily projects, 120 residential suburban projects, and VIVO indoor recreation facility expansion. Yeah, so one of the other things that I noticed, because we did events in both Edmonton and Calgary, was I I was surprised to see, you know, at least from being from Ontario, we hear that Edmonton isn't an exceptionally happening place. And I was surprised to see a lot of cranes there and a lot of residential development happening there, a lot of retail development happening there. So we're going to start off our deep dive by talking a little bit about the Edmonton market. We had an amazing event there. The turnout was great. The community was great. I really think we're going to start to see this community kind of like self-perpetuate. Everybody seemed interested on making those events happen on a monthly basis. So in Edmonton, the average house price is, let's say, around $400,000. That's based on CREA, Canadian Real Estate Association's HPI or house price index, as well as the National Bank of Canada's HPI. The average household income is over $120,000, according to CMHC, and about $93,000 net. So a house is just over 4x net income. Yeah, little different than where I'm coming from right now, which is Toronto. And if you want some comparison, the Toronto's average is 109000 and the medium is 78000 before tax. So little less than the average household income of Edmonton. If you boil that down on an average house price of Toronto of even a million bucks, which would be low, I would say, you're looking at house prices of closer to 10x income in Toronto. 
And that's not to say that that's a good thing as an investor, because that means a lot of people can afford to own houses. So they may not be as likely to rent. That actually kind of shows up in a piece of data from our StatCan episode, episode 35, if you want to go back and check it. You can see that Alberta is really low on the proportion of new construction that is occupied by renters. Red Deer is really the only city that's up over 40%. And the only Alberta city that's above that Canadian average of 40%. Yeah. Then if you go to the bottom of that list, you'll see four more Alberta names. Calgary is at 31.2%. Lethbridge is just below that. And Edmonton is just below that at 29.9%. Yeah. And then below Edmonton is actually the provincial average for Alberta. For context, cities with the highest percentage on this chart are Quebec City, Halifax, Montreal, and Moncton, and Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge, or the Tri-City areas of Ontario. Yeah, these areas all have similar cap rates to Alberta, except for maybe Montreal and the Kitchener-Waterloo-Cambridge area. So maybe the new build rental tenure isn't a major indicator of the strength of a rental market, but some interesting data to look at nonetheless. Yeah, I think it's also just kind of an indicator that capital has found those markets compelling. And as a landlord, you may actually end up with a lot of competition against new supply or purpose-built rental in those markets where that number is higher. And given that Alberta has just a few markets that are low on, or sorry, has a few markets that are low on that list, I actually think it's a bit of a green light for me that you're competing more with ownership. You're competing more with home ownership rather than better rentals or newer rentals as a landlord in most places in Alberta. Yeah, I'd agree. So so you're pretty much just saying that since there's lack of barrier to entry in some of these markets, it actually increases competition because more people are likely to just buy rather than wait for the right time and rent until then. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and it's more affordable to rent, right? Like we we assessed the comparison of Edmonton to Toronto. So I think that like you're more likely to lose it potential tenant to them going to buy a house than them going to buy it or rent a different place. Yeah, totally. So broadly, the home ownership rate in Alberta dropped by just 2.7% from 736 in 2011 to 709 in 2021. The only province that had worse drops in home ownership rate were, guess, Ontario, BC, Nova Scotia, PEI, and places that were definitely impacted by major capital flows during the pandemic. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we'll put a link to the show notes to that chart that we were referencing that StatCan actually reached out to us. They sent us that that daily that they wanted to discuss with us and on uh, on the show and on social media. Yeah. So the average rent that we're seeing is about 1400-ish and, and that's taken from a variety of sources. Our, our good friends at RentPanda, our other good friends at Rentals.ca and that's on their Alberta regional dashboard. The Alberta Regional Dashboard note actually there, like Alberta, their government economic development department actually has like this really cool interactive econ tool um, that you can get data like that. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So, and that gives you like a 4.2% ish rent to income ratio, which I, we've been kind of using as like a macro indicator on a provincial basis. I always want to see how approximate that is to cap rates. So, for comparison, the Collier's cap rate report has Edmonton multifamily cap rates around that same range, high rise 4 to 5% and low rise 425 to 5.5%. Yeah, okay, that's great stuff. But before we move on to housing affordability, let's just quickly read over the CBRE and Collier's cap rate report, which summarizes because they cover it really nicely and 
It's a great insight into what's happening in each asset class. And just to clarify, CBRE and Colliers are major commercial real estate, institutional real estate owners, investors, and transactors. So they put out a ton of great information that we use quite often in the show. Collier says the office market in metropolitan Edmonton appears to have stabilized and improvements are expected this year. The overall vacancy rate, this is just a crazy number to me, the overall vacancy rate was 18.6% during the first quarter of 2022, which is the same vacancy rate recorded during Q1 of 2021. Despite the nascent optimism, this asset class remains weak, absorption is low, and investment demand is minimal. Office caps are around 6.75% to 8% for Class A, and going as high as 9% for Class B. Those are some crazy numbers. You've got almost 20% vacancy, but you've got Class B buildings almost as high as a 9% cap rate. Yeah, it really, it shows you that risk reward trade off, right? Like you're going to be dealing with vacancy issues and you can expect a higher return for taking that risk. From Collier's, the vacancy rate for industrial properties declined to 4.6% in the first quarter of 2022. This is the lowest level since 2015. Demand remains high and construction is brisk despite elevated prices. Capitalization rates have declined significantly over the past two years, but will most likely plateau during 2022 due to the cost of rising financing. Industrial cap rates in Edmonton are 55 to 7% in Edmonton. Moving on to retail, the retail investment market remained buoyant through the pandemic despite major increases to vacancy levels. The departure of restrictions coupled with a strong provincial economy is causing high demand for retail assets in the metro area. Cap rates for the for the best quality product are below 6% in some cases and should stabilize at this level. So retail cap rates they have in that report are 55 to 6.75%. I actually did notice a couple of huge retail plazas being built near the White Ave area of Edmonton. Like it was so big that it had to be sort of long-term institutional capital. And there were some large national tenants coming in on the pre-leasing. I haven't gotten to the point of investing in retail personally, though I'd love to. But it is worth remembering that retail tenants, especially large national retail tenants, are often signing long-term leases. So you can typically be confident that if you see a big retailer moving into an area, they've determined that the long-term viability and spending power of that area is pretty strong. Yeah, for sure. That's definitely a good sign. Yeah, it may actually be worth us just like kind of using these qualitative indicators and just talking about noticing things in some of these areas. Yeah, well, here's something. So I, I come, I started my career off a long time ago in in construction, and so you you know you start to learn all the big names, PCL, a major one. I've seen a lot of their offices across Canada, across the GTA, and they just seem to always. No offense, PCL, you guys do great work, but all of their offices are like just brick squares. They're just like the most dull, mundane looking offices. And sure enough, on the drive into Calgary, I I pointed out a super boring looking PCL office and had a chuckle and pointed out to Dan. Then we drive into Edmonton and PCL I could have like it looked like a Google office. I was like, what the hell is yeah, it was going super on? Super sexy. It was like all glass and like had like a campus feeling. So if you're gonna work for PCL, go to Edmonton. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I also noticed like on our way in on the highway by the airport there, the massive Amazon warehouse that looked pretty well brand new. And there's major infrastructure spending going on in highways, bridges, airports. There, I think at, at the airport, that new structure looked like 
almost brand new. I found the downtown core to be relatively busy on the weekend. And I did see quite a few cranes in the sky and some large residential projects underway as well. And the biggest thing that I noticed is that people, you know, like the everyone we interacted with, everybody, people just seem to be happier in places they can afford housing. Yeah. I mean, everyone we met was happy. I don't know if they were happy because they were meeting us and we're happy guys or if they are just so happy because they love real estate. But yeah, there just seemed to be a great attitude out there. Let's talk about the multifamily market. It appears to be gathering strength this year due to high levels of interprovincial and international immigration. So limited supply and rising rents don't help with that. Local cap rates are particularly appealing to obviously outside investors, most likely from Ontario and BC, due to the premiums they offer in conjunction with the healthy economic conditions we're seeing in the province. Yeah. And based on the Alberta Regional Dashboard, which is that economic development tool I mentioned, if you just Google like any major economic indicator, it's likely to pop up, by the way. It looks like residential vacancy in Edmonton is in the 6 to 7% range, which is kind of in line with some other asset classes. So, you know, like the retail environment as an example. So if you're an Edmonton investor, it may actually be worth looking at some small cap deals in those other asset classes to get a bit of a juicier rate of return, such as maybe an industrial condo or a small detached industrial building, an office condo or a small office building. This one obviously carrying a little bit of more vacancy risk or like a high street style property with ground floor retail and office or residential above. We plugged a couple of deals into the landlord.io deal analyzer, which we typically link in the show notes, found you could get some 6 to 7% cap rates on a few properties in this retail environment. So for like $600,000, there's one on 118 Ave Northwest in Edmonton, vacant retail, probably could stabilize that at you know a 7 plus percent cap rate, but there is some stabilization risk, right? So it could be great for an owner-occupier or somebody who wants to cut the space up to de-risk it. For 675000 there's one on 6267 Andrews Loop Southwest. Um, again, probably could stabilize something like this or take it over in the 6 to 7% cap rate range. One of the things that we're talking about a lot with people at the events was, you know, how do you finance deals at scale in markets like this? And especially if you want to go outside of the residential asset class, we know big banks love to lend on small cap residential deals. That's why we talk about it so much. And that's why investors want to go to it so much, because it's not hard to get bank debt up to a fourplex. But if credit does end up being your challenge with a lot of these things, and one of the things I wanted to mention when talking about different markets individually was if I was going to buy properties like this, I would be approaching credit unions who have a mandate to invest their depositors' capital in improving that local economy. So the three biggest credit unions, I think, in Alberta are Service, uh, S-E-R-V-U-S, Vision, and ABCU, which is Alberta Credit Union. Yeah. And actually, going back to some some good cap rates here, the highest cap rate you can find in Edmonton retail, according to CBRE Canadian Cap Rate Report, is urban street front assets, which are running cap rates of 65 to 7% compared to about five and a quarter to... 5.75 for, for strip malls. Yeah. And so that's pretty in line with those two assets that I presented, which we analyzed on landlord.io that, that are basically that type of asset. 
So now that we've kind of looked at the market from 30,000 feet, we can narrow all the way down to, again, those small cap residential investment market deals. And more importantly, that housing market, which is what most of our listeners, I would say, are typically interested in investing in. So this comes from National Bank's MPPI. They have a housing affordability monitor, they call it. It comes out on a quarterly basis. We've mentioned it before and actually mentioned Edmonton and Calgary before, so I'm not going to get too into the weeds on it. But basically, they have for Edmonton that the MPPI or mortgage payment as a percentage of income is 30.9% for freehold and 15.3% for condo. So for freehold, they're using a home of a value of $440,000 for the calculations. And you'd need a household income of about 100K to afford that, which is easily achievable based on the earlier data we mentioned about household income. For the average person in Edmonton, working in Edmonton, that requires just 30 months of savings or 15 months if you want to buy a condo. And that's considered a 57% discount compared to buying a house anywhere else in the country. So you're you're really, you know, as we mentioned, competing more with home ownership than other landlords as an investor in Edmonton. Let's move on 57% to fifty seven percent discount. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're you know, you're really competing That's with not the bad. Canadian dream of home ownership here. You're not as an investor, you're not competing with come to Edmonton, it's a fifty percent off sale yeah. for, for homes. Yeah. Sounds yeah. pretty good. Let me jump to Calgary real quick here, and then I'll let you take over on their their cap rate report. So the average house price in Calgary is three hundred and eighty thousand. Average household income is one hundred and forty thousand, give or take, according to StatCan. So again, just economic metrics. Yeah. Yeah. Let's look at, I mean, again, remembering that the average household income in Toronto is like less than 80,000 puts things into perspective. Now let's look at the CBRE cap rate report. So strong macroeconomic factors in the province of Alberta are mitigating some of the upward pressure on cap rates coming from the increased bond yields that we're seeing. Rapid increases in industrial rental rates have helped extend the sector's run-up as the most desirable investment product type. That's not really surprising. We've seen that across the country. Industrial has just been on a tear the last couple of years. Core and anchored retail assets remain liquid, albeit as a discount to historical valuations. Industrial cap rates are sitting at 4 to 5% for class A and about 5.5 to 6.25 cap rates for class B. Dan, why don't we just talk very quickly about class A and class B here? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think it's uh, it's almost rhetorical, but you know, the class A stuff is really your your top of the line and and the stuff that people will move out of other places to go to to represent their brand well or whatever it is. And, uh, and the class B stuff is really, I mean, I guess it's kind of comparing those two different properties that you mentioned in the PCL example, right? It's your, it's your brick, yeah, exactly. it's your brick box yeah. versus your glass Google campus, right? Edmonton is class A PCL and Calgary is class B PCL. Yeah, I mean, really? Yeah. So in the CBRE report, Alberta is experiencing the highest levels of positive net migration in the last 70 years, resulting in strong absorption and rental growth in the multifamily market. So multifamily caps in Calgary are 4.25 to 5.25%, depending on quality. Class A high-rise would be 4.25 to 4.75%. Class B high-rise would be 4.75 to 5.25%. Class A low-rise would be 4.5 to 5%. Class B low-rise would be 4.75 to 5.25%. Yeah, and pricing for the office markets remains opportunistic with the highest quality assets pricing to yield and lower end pricing on a per square foot basis. 
The availability of high loan-to-value ratio debt and conversion grants are pushing at residential conversion projects. So let's talk a bit about that. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely want to talk a little bit more about that, but maybe just read me the rates here on on office cap rates because they're totally mind-blowing. Yeah, for sure. So office cap rates are, well, yeah, they're definitely going to blow your mind a bit here. We've got, so there's also outside of class A, there's double A, which is like the sexiest of the sexy. So that is double A class downtown, 6.25 to 6.75. Class A downtown, we get 7.25 to 8.25. And then class B, the bell of the ball, we get 9 to 10% cap rates. Okay, now Dan, touch on that piece you were just mentioning, three downtown Calgary office buildings converting to residential. Let's let's analyze that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I think it's, you know, it's interesting because you're seeing vacancies start to shift around places and especially away from like, you know, if you have an office vacancy that is as high as, and we'll hit the number here in reading this article, but if you get one that's as high as it is in Calgary, people can go from those B class into the A's without a huge detriment to their bottom line. If you're a business, right, you can move from a B office. So you're starting to see a lot of these office towers push to vacate, maybe buy people out of tenancies. And and you're starting to see an amalgamation of office tenancies into better buildings. And then a lot of those worst buildings, let's call them, being converted into into residential. So three downtown Calgary office towers. So go ahead. Did you want to say? They're they're not worse. They're They're just different. Yeah, yeah. Three downtown Calgary office towers will be the city's first to convert vacant offices into living spaces under a new incentive program. The projects announced in April will remove 414,000 square feet of downtown office space from Calgary's struggling market and replace it with 401 residential units. Yeah, the largest of these three projects is Palisare 1 at 125 9th Avenue Southeast, which will convert 200,000 square feet of office space into 176 apartments with the completion targeted for 2024. We also have the HAT at Arts Commons Project at 205 9th, adds another 113 housing units. And the final project at 909th Fifth Avenue will bring 112 apartments plus retail space to a building that has sapped empty for nearly a decade. That is that is brutal. It sat empty for a decade, but it's great to see that they're finally putting it to use. Across the three towers, the retrofitted office space represents about 3% of downtown total office vacancy. So overall, the city is targeting the removal of 6 million square feet of downtown office space through conversion or demolition in a bid to stabilize a commercial real estate market that's been reeling for years. Downtown office vacancy rates, get this, sat at 29.7% in the final months of 2021. That is truly insane, almost a 30% vacancy rate. And these are nice buildings. Like, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe they're not the nicest, but there's no reason they should be sitting there empty. So the city is reviewing applications for another eight office buildings looking to access funding for these conversions. With further announcements anticipated in the coming weeks, developers will receive the city funding when the projects have been completed. The city hall subsidy for office conversions help makes the project economically feasible. And this is all quoted by, this is through a conversation with an executive from Aspen Properties and other developers back and forth with the city of Calgary here. Yeah. And that was from an article in the Calgary Herald. I think it might be worth noting or using this as an opportunity to talk a little bit about 
a concept called adaptive reuse. You know, we like to teach our listeners as much as we can. So this definition comes from Wikipedia. Adaptive reuse refers to the process of reusing an existing building for a purpose other than which it was originally built or designed for. It is also known as recycling and conversion. Adaptive reuse is an effective strategy for optimizing the operational and commercial performance of built assets. Adaptive reuse of buildings can be an attractive alternative to new construction in terms of sustainability and a circular economy. It has prevented thousands of buildings demolition and has allowed them to become critical components of urban regeneration, which is the big concept we're seeing here in Calgary. Not every old building can qualify for adaptive reuse. Architects, developers, and builders, and entrepreneurs who wish to become involved in the rejuvenation and construction of a building must first make sure that the finished product will serve the need of the market, that it will be completely useful for its new purpose, and that it will be competitively priced. Yeah, I mean, I I, I personally love this. I, I hate to see these old buildings being being torn down when when you can just do such cool things with them. You, you know, essentially, just look at what our you know small scale investors like us can do with a single family home turning into duplex or triplex or adding a basement unit. Just picture that on a massive scale, right? For sure. At the same time, a new report by commercial real estate services firm Avis and Young says the city's downtown saw its first positive absorption rate of office space in the fourth quarter, meaning that more space was snapped up than vacated since the pandemic began 22 months ago. Well, that's a little win. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? And from my perspective, if you're seeing, like, I think this could actually be the perfect storm for a bit of a rebounder, resilient market, tight market in Calgary. If the oil market stays strong, if they're not as impacted as the economic downturn that Canada might see, and we're seeing a lot of this commercial office space getting taken out of the market and being pushed into residential, and a lot of economic growth, a lot of population growth, it could actually be really strong for Calgary for the next couple of years. Yeah, totally. So we've covered a lot of different asset classes here, commercial, industrial, just some different classes within those asset classes. Dan, let's quickly talk about, I know we're getting close to time here, but let's quickly talk about the housing supply shortage, the skilled labor capacity, and why Alberta is kind of unique within Canada when it comes to housing and skilled labor. Yeah. So at its current pace, there's insufficient labor capacity to address the significant housing supply gaps in Ontario and BC especially. Under the best case scenario, the labor capacity only exists to increase housing starts activity across all four major provinces between 2022 and 2030 by an annual average of 30 to 50% above CMHC's baseline housing starts forecast. So Ontario by 36%, Quebec by 29%, BC by 41%, and Alberta at a whopping 54%. Okay. Ontario, Quebec, and BC need to double their best case scenario labor capacity in order to adequately reach housing affordability supplies by 2030. Labor capacity issues are most critical in Ontario, which has the largest population and the highest price pressures. While the pandemic has shown that the workplace can pivot and manage greater construction volumes with fewer workers, this may still cause construction backlogs, which will create more delays and postpone supplying those new units to those markets desperately in need. Now, this is interesting here, Dan. We're going to go over the housing supply affordability targets versus best case housing starts projections. So we're going to talk, we're going to say the affordability target, then the best case scenario, We've, why don't we go one for one here? We've got Ontario, BC, Quebec, and Alberta, and then we'll talk about why it's important to finish things off here. 
So why don't you start us off? Sure. Yeah. So yeah, Ontario's affordability target is 2.6 million homes and their best case scenario is a million or 1.045 million homes. Yeah. So over a million and a half off. BC affordable target for homes, they, we need to build 993,000 and the best case is under 600,000 at 598,000. Quebec needs 1.12 billion homes or million homes, billion homes, <laughs> 1.12 million homes. And uh, their best case scenario is 649,000. Yeah, so literally about 50%. And I get to read the good one here again. Love it. Alberta or Albertus or Albert, whatever we are moving forward with, whatever Latin we like. Affordable target. Of, so this is how many homes we need to build. 418,000. And the best case scenario in Alberta is 612,000. So almost 200,000 in excess. Now, Dan, I know we're at time here. Let's have a quick, quick discussion as to why this is a positive and but why this could also be a little bit of a negative. I don't know if it's so much a negative as much as it's just like Good. That was a trick yeah, question. You're not going to end up with a <laughs> high price growth market if you don't have excess demand. And given that Alberta is capable of meeting the demands of their housing market, this to me is good. It means that you have a, a good, properly functioning economy. You actually want to, you would wish that things would stay this way or be this way for everywhere in Canada. But you're not likely to see a high capital appreciation market. What you're likely to see is more economic growth because people aren't spending all of their money on household expenses. They're outspending it in the economy. They're outgrowing businesses. They're taking business risks. They're using it for research and development. They're being entrepreneurs. And so I like the long-term prospect of Alberta actually evolving as a stronger provincial economy and stronger city economies because they're not so dependent on housing. But as investors, we are thinking this is much more of a yield play, much more of a rental income play than a capital appreciation play. Yeah, totally. I completely agree with that. I mean, I also am, you know, I'm flirting with the idea that Alberta does hit, you know, in, even in between its its target and the best case scenario, building, let's say, 100,000 more homes. Well, I would that be a major pull factor for you know provincial immigration across the country? Maybe you know maybe they do build more, and it's kind of like if you build it, they will come. So, anyways, we went over a ton of stuff in this episode. I had an amazing time in Alberta. We will be back, Calgary, Edmonton. Thank you so much. Absolutely beautiful province. We've talked about the booms, the bust, the cap rates from all the different asset classes. The U-Haul index, the crane index, I think we gave everyone a pretty good picture of what Alberta, Calgary, Edmonton, and, and all the other great places there look like. Yeah. So if you have any other questions or anything else you wanted to hear from this episode or any other deep dive episodes we do, let us know. Reach out the emails in the show notes. Anything else, Dan? Yeah, I think one of the important things to note is like one of the reasons that we do these events is to build local business communities around investing. And we feel exceptionally well set up to serve anybody who wants to invest. The reason we did Alberta first as our first deep dive, as our first place to do events is because it is the place we get most asked about for investing. Everybody, tons of Ontario capital, tons of BC listeners are asking us about investing in the Alberta market. And so we said, okay, well, we got to go find the boots on the ground people who can help our listeners do that. And so I feel like we're exceptionally well set up to serve our listeners in that pursuit now. So if you need a realtor, if you need a mortgage, if you need a connection to a local credit union or an investor group out there, we're going to be having monthly groups for the podcast 
out there. And we're Nick and I are hoping to be in those markets a couple times a year to visit those investor groups. But we also have amazing infrastructure built for all of our listeners to be and become successful investors in that market. So give us a shout. We want to connect you. Awesome. Love it. Yeah. Sweet. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. The Canadian Real Estate Ambassador is for entertainment purposes only and not financial or investment advice. Always do your own due diligence. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center, license number 10317, and a partner in G&H Mortgage Group. Agent license is M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker at Royal LePage or Community Realty, a member of Royal LePage Commercial, and a licensee with the Canadian Real Estate Association, Ontario Real Estate Association, and a member of the Toronto Real Estate Board.